I want to continue in this theme of coming to Jesus. If you've not been with us the first two weeks, um, this is our third session on what it means to come to Jesus. I felt like the Lord put this on my heart so that we could actually talk about uh, what it means to come to Jesus. And oftentimes in our journey uh, in life, even as Christians, we are our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ, but our hearts seem to kind of stray because of maybe the journey we're going through or some of the difficulty that we're going through. And I just felt like we just need to come back to Jesus. This is the season for that. And the first two weeks, we talked about how uh, uh, you know, we need to get back to daily communion with him, that, that actually being with Jesus is hearing his word, reading his word, and communing with him. He feeds us, and it's not just once a week, it's not just once a month, it's not just a few times a year. It's actually every day that we need to have this relationship. And also, in the second week, we talked about what it meant to abide in Christ, that he would abide in us and us in him. This is all what it means to come to Jesus. This week, I wanted to talk about a different way of coming to Jesus. You see, oftentimes, we'll have these moments in our life where we have, some people even call them, coming to Jesus moments. But if you actually are really honest with yourself, and maybe if you look back in your own life, your own testimony, you will recognize that there are many times where Jesus comes to us. See, almost more than you even realize, Jesus is in more pursuit of you than you are of him. He wants you. He loves you. I mean, uh, the Holy Spirit is often called the hound of heaven because he's just after you. My mom, uh, when I was lost, when I was running away from the Lord, when I was going through one of the darkest, most profound, darkest times in my life, my mom, she couldn't talk to me about Jesus she knew I knew better, and, and, and she was just too familiar to me. She couldn't talk to me about the Lord, but she prayed. And her prayer was, God, would you send someone who would talk to my son about Jesus? God, would you encounter him? God, would you meet him? And for those of you who don't know my story, one of the darkest nights of my life was on Thanksgiving night. My, my, I had lost my, my family. I'd been going through some really tragic moments. I was lost. I was in the world and it was dark. I was living with my parents trying to get my life back together and I didn't have my own children to celebrate Thanksgiving with. And so I remember hearing a, a lie from, the, uh, from Satan that night, from the, de- the devil saying, don't you understand, nothing will change in your life. You'll never have peace. And so I remember going straight to the bar, a storefront bar, all dark windows. I go into the bar and there's no one there except an older Caucasian man, older African-American man. I don't pay them any attention. I go to the other end of the bar and I order a shot and a pint of beer immediately. Order another pint of beer, going all the way that night. I was trying to stop smoking at the time, but I saw a cigarette vending machine. I got a pack of cigarettes. I go outside. I'm leaning on the dark windows of the bar, smoking my cigarette, literally looking like this, leaning against the windows of the bar, wallowing in my sorrows, believing the lie that nothing will ever change in my life. This older African-American man, he comes out of the bar and he's on his phone. He's just pacing on the sidewalk. And this is in the Philadelphia area. And so I'm not paying him any attention because you don't really talk to people you don't know in the city. And he gets off his phone and he comes and he walks towards the door and he stops and he looks at me and he says, are you gonna make it? I said, what? 
He said, you heard me. Are you going to make it? I said, uh, yeah. He said, how do you know? Now, I don't know why I said this, but it was like I was trying, time traveled back into children's church where the only three correct answers are Jesus, the Bible, and prayer, no matter the question. You know what I'm talking about? And I said, because Jesus? He said, Jesus? Why'd you say Jesus? I said, because I'm a Christian. He just ignored me. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Paul. He said, wow. He said, you know, in the Bible, Paul did great things for God. He said, one day, Paul, you're gonna do great things for God. And just walked away. And I threw my cigarette down, I went in my car and I cried my eyes out because I realized, just like the psalmist wrote, that even if I made my bed in hell, Jesus was after me, that God was after me and he was with me. See, I would have never gone to church in that season of my life, but thank God, he sent someone to come and speak into my life that changed the trajectory. Jesus had a divine appointment with me that night that I had no idea about. I was covered in shame. See, shame is this, it's this thing that the devil uses that's such a lie that says, if you tell people what you're going through, if you actually admit to people what you struggle with, if you actually tell people honestly what is wrong with your life, they'll all abandon you. So shame wants to keep you isolated because in your isolation, you will die. Where Jesus wants to bring truth because the reality is, is when truth is spoken, when you can actually be honest, the church can surround you. That's what it means to be in community. I wanna talk about a scripture in John 4 where Jesus had a divine appointment where he knew he had to come to someone. We're gonna look, I, I read from the NASB version. I, I do like that version, but you can read whatever version you prefer. John 4, verse five, it says this. So he came to a city of Samaria, that's talking about Jesus, called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour would, is most likely noon. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, let's paint... Uh, some context here of what's actually going on. Um, the Jews and Samaria, uh, Samaria is it within Israel, but Samaria was, the Samaritans were a part of a, a province called Samaria, and Samaria was not in relationship with the Jews. Um, the reason being is that when the Jews were back in, in the Old Testament, were exiled back into Babylon, uh, there was a remnant of people that were left, and those remnant of people actually intermingled with some of the Near Eastern people, and, uh, and there was a kind of like a quasi-Judaism that the Samaritans uh, developed. And so when the Jews came back out of exile, back into Israel, they found these Samaritans, and it, to them it wasn't pure Judaism. So they rejected the Samaritans, and they actually have had spats between them between the time of the return of the exile till now. And, uh, and so the Samaritans were not allowed to worship in Jerusalem. 
The Samaritans were not considered Jewish. And so uh, the, the Samaritans had built their own temple on a mountain in Samaria. And the, the, the Samaritans and the Jews actually hated each other. You know, it's like when people are fighting for so long, they don't remember who started it because they lose people of both sides, both sides get offended, and so now they just, there's a, a deep hatred there that goes generations, and they just know they're supposed to hate each other. This is kind of what it was for Samaritans and Jews. It wasn't just that they were unclean, there was a deep offense between them, both sides. Jesus is doing something very unusual in this time because Jerusalem, or Judea, where Jesus was walking from, had to go through, it had to go to um, Galilee. And so most Jews would actually walk around Samaria. If you have the uh, map, John, I just wanna show people just so that they understand exactly Jesus's journey and what he's doing. Jesus is coming from Judea, actually right where that word Judea is, there's Jerusalem underneath it. I don't know why they didn't put that there, but most, um, the, the most easy way to get to Galilee where Jesus was going would to be actually just to walk through. Most Jews would go around. They would go either to the right side of Samaria or to the left side of Samaria so that they would not encounter Samaritans. Jesus is doing something unusual. He's taking his disciples straight through Sychar. See where Sychar is? Right above it, Shechem is, Sychar's in the, in the, and there's Mount Gerizim, which will be referenced in the, in the story. All right, you can take that map down. So this is crazy. Now, it's noon o'clock in this time, which means that it's very hot. If you were ever to draw water uh, outside of the town of Samaria where Jacob's well is, we know where this well is to this day. It's a very deep well, over 100 feet deep at, in seasons. So it's like you gotta go real deep to get that water out by hand. Uh, that, that well is, is still there, and, uh, and it's, it's a desert time. Now look, I'm from the East Coast. I just moved here like four weeks ago. I'm learning that if I wanna do something outside that will take some labor, I'm going to do it in the morning, or I'm gonna do it after four o'clock when the sun starts lightening up. I am not gonna do it at noon to three. I'm learning that. Now, contextually, this woman gathering water would usually go with other women. It, it would be a group event that they would just go in the morning, get the water they need throughout the day, bring it back home. The fact that she's going at noon, the fact that she's by herself means that there is a reason she's doing this. It's because of shame. She's either not wanting the rejection or has already been rejected so many times, she just knows they don't wanna be around her. And Jesus has sent his disciples away to find food so that he could meet with this woman. He's coming to her. Let's keep reading. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, verse eight. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, this 
lady, um, I think she has some Philly in her. Just because of how this conversation ends up going. Sometimes we think of it like she's this meek and mild and just doesn't want to talk. No, she's probably like, who are you? You're asking me for a drink? You know who I am. I know who you are. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him in her Philly way, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is so deep. So where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Give him Uh, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come here to draw. Now, she's still not going like, please give me this water. She's actually like saying, oh yeah, well give me this water because I'm tired of coming in the middle of the day to get water. She's still not totally convinced. So Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Wow, that's a burn. And the one whom you have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, what's happening in this conversation happens so often is that Jesus is trying to identify the brokenness that she's walking in because he knows that she's hurting. And she doesn't want to identify with it yet, so you know what she does? She makes it into a religious, political conversation. She changes the subject, which oftentimes I think is something that we often do without even realizing it, is we don't wanna really identify with what we're actually dealing with, what we're going through, so we change the subject to something that's more a current event. Maybe it's something like the news, or politics, or, or a, religious, uh, a, a religious topic. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. She's pointing to that Mount Gerizim. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the only place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and is now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, oftentimes we have these encounters and we want to uh, come to Jesus in these moments, but Jesus is actually pursuing us. And when we finally have this encounter with Jesus, it's actually important that we have that encounter to be an encounter that our appointment with him turns into another appointment so we can bring the person who's broken, who needs Jesus back to Jesus for eternal life. What am I saying? Well, we need to be a river. 
Just like I would have never come to church in that time, church came to me in a bar. There's many people who will never come to New Life City because they just don't know better. They don't know what they don't know. They, they'll never go to another church in this city, but they're, they're lost and they don't even know it. They're broken, they're hurting, they don't know the answer, but you have the answer within you. I remember I was in Ohio and I was um, uh, working with a team. Uh, I, they asked me to come and teach on evangelism and then we broke up in teams in the city and we similarly, we got these bags of like where you bring um, homeless bags uh, to people um, and they weren't just homeless bags, but it was just like water and snacks and it was an easy way to kind of start a conversation. And, um, and so we like broke up throughout the city and bro- broke down the blocks and we're like walking through and, and I'm walking and God highlights someone to me. And what I mean by highlighting, I mean like I was just drawn to them. My eyes were attracted to them. I, 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 I knew that God was uh, identifying them for me to, to interact with. It doesn't mean that I actually knew what I was even gonna say to him. I was just like, the man was, he was standing up against the corner of a laundromat, just leaning, and so I'm like, oh, I, God wants me to talk to him, so I'm gonna go, I don't even know what I'm gonna say, I'm just trusting. So I, I go over to him, and I'm like, I'm not ready yet, so I just walk by him. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta do this, I taught on this, I gotta do it. Now, if you think that everyone has the answer and, and people who are doing this forever don't get nervous, you're absolutely wrong. It's almost faith every time for me. So I'm like, okay, I gotta do this. And I passed him again, not ready, not ready. But I'm like, I can't do this. I gotta go right to him. Paul, just get over it. I go to him, I'm like, hey, sir. And he just looks at me and he starts walking away into the parking lot. He doesn't wanna talk to me. I said, sir, uh, I got this bag of water for you. I'm okay. I got this living water. (laughs) I don't want it, I'm all right. Sorry, uh, let me talk to you for a second. I just want to tell you something. And, and, and this car comes up, pulls up. He opens the door. He's like, my ride's here. I got to go. I'm like, okay, I guess I missed that one. And so I turn. I'm Now I'm in the parking lot, the laundromat. I turn, and I'm about to walk, and I see this car, and this door's open, and there's this young lady there. I mean, she's right there, and she's weeping. And I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I just lost my baby. She had a miscarriage. She was just coming back. And I knelt down next to her. I said, oh, sweetie. I said, you know, Jesus, he's with you right now. He's with you in your suffering. And I got to share my testimony with her. And I got to pray with her. And I got to connect her to the church and lead her to Jesus because I had no idea and she had no idea that there was a divine appointment where Jesus wanted to meet her. Our church can't just be a pond. It needs to be a river. It needs to go outside these walls. Jesus said that we're supposed to be like a light on a hill, like a city planted on a hill. And and that image doesn't mean that it's our church and we need to have these big signs so that people know we're the best church in Albuquerque. That's, please, I don't want that. I don't care how big we get, I don't care any of that stuff. What that means is you, inside you, is the living, breathing, eternal God who's the light of the world. And when people see you, it's like they're seeing a city on a hill. Now, what that looks like is darkness. 
There's people walking in darkness. If you've ever traveled somewhere, really, and you see a city afar off, it's like that's the destination. They're gonna go because where that light is, that city represents resources, represents rest, represents wholeness, represents a place where they can go. That's you. We have an encounter to become an encounter. Jesus is meeting this woman because not only does he know that she needs to be whole, but he knows that through her life, a whole city will get saved. He didn't do it through any of his disciples. He did it through a woman that no one knew and everyone rejected. He did it through someone that the Jews would consider unholy, Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who's called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The first person he publicly tells that he's the Messiah of the world is this Samaritan woman. That's how much he loved her. That's how much he valued her. That's how much he went out of his way for a special divine appointment. At this point, the disciples were amazed that, had, that he had been speaking with a woman and no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, which is amazing by the way, the whole reason she was there, and went into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out the city and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember we talked about the, the stones and the bread? The bread is his word. The bread is the, the things he does. Listen to this. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Coming to Jesus in daily communion will definitely feed you. Getting that, having that relationship with him, having that, that time to hear him and to speak to him and to read his word, that'll feed you, that'll, that'll, that'll give life to you. But remember I said we're not supposed to be a pond? Ponds become stagnant. Ponds are water that comes in that doesn't go out becomes perverse. A river is life-giving, will always be pure if it's, if it's, if it's flowing. And so, and so Jesus is talking about hearing him is feeding us and doing God's will is feeding us. I, I, I challenge myself in this all the time. I was with a friend uh, just last week and uh, we had to stop by the grocery store and we're, we're getting some things and, and there's this gentleman, he kind of seems a little different. You know, he's, he's not what you would consider churched. Didn't look like it. Didn't look, you know, we start to see people, we categorize them by how they look. Even though we don't know them, we think we start like putting things on them. We start going, oh, they probably are from this background. They're probably into this music. They're probably do, have it struggling with this. We, we say all these things. We, we put these, these qualifiers on people. And the reality is we don't even know them. But I do it too. 
And I'm looking at this guy and, 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 he's, and, and he just, he's got crazy outfit, crazy hair kinda, and, I'm, and I hear you know, the Lord tell me, to, tell me he loves him. And so we're at the cash, cash register and I said, his name is Kenny. If you see him, that's the guy. I said, Kenny, has anyone told you today how much Jesus loves you? He said, yep, this morning I was talking to Father God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And I said, that's awesome, Kenny. I'm like, yes. He said, Kenny, because I see his love for you. I see his compassion for you. And he goes, thank you so much for telling me that. And he was, as he's tearing up, I really needed to hear that today. I have no idea why. He shows me a tattoo. He says, Yeshua, on his arm. Now, what's so amazing is Kenny probably felt great, you know, in that moment because God is like a kiss from God for him. But actually, you know what felt more amazing? Me. I felt the joy of God in me. And I'm like, why don't I do this all the time? What I felt was the love of God flowing through me to him. And I want to encourage you that feeding from him also is an expression of giving what he's given you so that we don't become stagnant and we can give away what he's given us. Do not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. I believe, and the time is now, that the harvest is ripe in Albuquerque. I wanna just encourage you that the qualifiers and the judgments that we put on people thinking they'll, they won't hear, they won't listen, they'll reject what I have to say, um, there's fear there. I just wanna break that off you right now because God is on the move, and so far, everyone who I've approached about Jesus or even just wanted to pray for or bless them, nobody's rejected me. And you know what? If they do, and I get humiliated and humbled, I probably needed it. <laughs> but the worst they can say is, get away from me. And what I love is now the Holy Spirit has something to, to use. It's a seed. It's like, it's like now they got to wrestle on their bed at night going, can you believe what that bald-headed little guy said to me about Jesus, that Jesus loved me, that Jesus loves me and was for me and is with me? He, I mean, that's awesome. The Holy Spirit's like, ooh, I could use that. I can remind them that, that if they just give their life to me that night, that I'll be there with them. And all I had to do was mess their day up and tell them that God loves them and that if they just ask, even just knowing your testimony. If you don't know anything to say, just say your testimony. It preaches. And it's powerful. You have power when you speak your testimony because it's yours. It's your breakthrough. And the, and the harvest is ready. And so I can't wait for us to share what God's done in us and invite our neighbors, invite our friends, even ask them to come to church, say, you have nothing to do. You, you, you don't have to do anything. Just come and sit with me and, and see what you think and just allow the Holy Spirit. These are seeds that God uh, loves to use. See, we have this Western mindset when it comes to farming. 
This is the Western mindset. Make a little hole, take my one seed out, put it in the little hole, come this way, take another seed out, put a little, because we, we think we're really formulaic in what we do. But seed farming back in the uh, ancient Near Eastern time of Jerusalem, they had a bag of seeds. They, 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 they plowed the ground and they went like this. Some seed fell on the, on the side. Some seed fell where there was rocks. Some seed fell where there was thorns. But then there were seeds that went in good soil. And so sometimes we're like, oh God, where's that one person that the heavens open and light shines down on and that is super highlighted to me and, and it's the perfect moment when, when there's nothing uh, pressing me for time and I didn't just get in a fight with my spouse and, and, I, and I had communion with you that morning and I read the Bible and then that moment, all those things align, then I can share Jesus. I've been a Christian a long time. It's very rare that that happens. It's oftentimes where we're getting groceries, we're running late. I did have a spat with, with someone. You know, I'm, I'm like, I, 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 I heard uh, K-Love on the radio and that was it that day. And, uh, and, and, and then I'm like, and, and, then, and then I see, some, my eyes are drawn to someone and I'm like, oh shoot. What am I gonna say? God, I got nothing here. I got, what am I? But the reality is if you just reach out to that person and just say, God, God loves you. God will show up. The, I, my friend says all the time, the kingdom of heaven is inconvenient. It's never the right time. It's never the right moment. But if you just allow him to use you, you'll see God show up. Yes. All right, we're gonna keep going. Down to verse 39, it says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of you, because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. This is a beautiful story. We're gonna end just in a minute, but I, I've, uh, I've really been impressed by how this story is iterated in one of the shows that have just come out called The Chosen. And uh, it is a powerful, and they've done a wonderful job. And I actually got to interview the founder and creator, writer, uh, Dallas, and director, Dallas Jenkins, um, it's on YouTube if you ever want to watch it. And he just has this wonderful testimony. And, you know, the Bible gives us what uh, the message that needs to come across. But they took some liberties to probably show how a normal conversation would have gone through between Jesus and this woman. And it's an eight minute video. And usually I wouldn't show an eight minute video in church, but I would like us to watch it. And then we're going to just I'm just going to say one more thing and we'll close. John, if you don't mind playing that video and bringing the house lights down.
always hard not to get teary-eyed watching it. When we encounter Jesus, it puts everything on its head. It took a woman who knew exactly her circumstance and and it didn't, her, her, her status didn't change in society, but because she had hope now, because she, was, she had an encounter, she knew she could be an encounter. And, and, and listen, guys, Jesus wants to meet us whatever well we're at. Maybe you're there again. I don't know. Maybe you need that encounter. Maybe you've never had Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can give your heart to Jesus today and he would radically transform it. And you could not just get into heaven, but you can get heaven into you. Maybe you, you've had these encounters with Jesus, but you didn't have the faith, the boldness, whatever it was to actually share your faith so freely. You felt bound by fear, bound by maybe embarrassment, or you just like the, the structure that, you know, of going through daily transactions and you just don't want to break that rhythm and, and you don't know how to actually breach that topic. But I want to pray that God would give you boldness and break that fear off so you could see what Jesus does to people like this. It's not right that you got to live in freedom and you don't get to share it. It's just not good. It's not right. I've seen God place amazing people in amazing circumstances because they met Jesus at a well somewhere, and then they said, I don't care, I'm gonna go to the darkest place I can find and share the light. My friend, he, he, he and his wife, they're wonderful worship leaders, and they, um, they can't have children on their own. They've, they've tried biologically to have children, and it just, is a, it just hasn't happened, and um, they just kept having faith for it because they had these words that they were going to have children, and, and so, the wife was, you know, people would say, you know, I think you're supposed to adopt. I think God's saying that. She's like, nope, I'm having my own biological child. And she would reject that word. And then one day, um, they were at a party with his cousin. And his cousin is going through her own journey. She has a relationship with God, but she's, uh, dis, you know, she, she's, her journey, like many, is up and down with the Lord. And so she, um, she just says off chance, well, if I ever have a baby, I'll let you guys have it because she, she couldn't raise a baby. And, um, and they were like, oh, and they joked about it. Well, a few months later, she actually accidentally gets pregnant. And she calls them and lets them know and says, remember that thing that I told you? And, and the wife of my friend said, you know, we're still believing for our own, thank you. And my friend had no idea that his cousin was going to do this, but she was so devastated about having to raise his child and scared and alone and afraid. She didn't tell anyone she was doing this, but she goes to Planned Parenthood to make an appointment to have an abortion. And um, she pulls up and she's feeling, you know, the weight about what she's about to do. And, and she said, God, if you give me a sign or something, I'll keep this baby, but... She goes into the Planned Parenthood and she goes to meet the, the lady, the, uh, the administrative lady, and she, uh, she ends up like dropping her pen or messing up something and she gets angry and she goes, you know, I shouldn't even be angry, I'm a Christian. And the cousin thought, well, that's weird, a Christian working here? Hmm. That same lady is doing an ultrasound where they are, they have to do an ultrasound and, 
And um, the lady says, you know, I'm not supposed to ask you this, but I think you should look at the screen. And the cousin says, I don't wanna look at the screen. She goes, I know, but I really think you need to look at the screen. She says, I can't look at the screen. She goes, I'm only gonna ask you one more time. You don't have to, but if I were you, I would look at the screen. So she looks at the screen, the lady turns it to her. It's twins. And the woman working there said, listen, because it's twins, we can't do this procedure immediately, but we'll have to schedule it at least next week. And looks at her in her eyes and said, but you don't have to come back here if you don't want to. She goes into the car, cries her eyes out, calls her my friend, her cousin. And in the, during that time, the, the wife of my friend has this encounter with the Lord and he says, will you adopt if I give you a baby? <laughs> so she, she finally says yes, has no idea that the, the cousin was going there. And so big phone call from the parking lot, Planned Parenthood, I'm having twins. And they say, well, we wanna adopt them. And now my friend has these beautiful six-year-old twins that are awesome, boy and a girl. But that's like a person going in the darkest place and says, I'm gonna work there just to share in light. A friend of mine, he's a warden of a prison. It's a deportation prison. The people in his prison, they're there, they've already tried, found guilty, and are going to be exported back to their country of origin. They're there from 30 days to 90 days. But he's also a pastor. He doesn't make the decisions about who goes and who leaves. He's just responsible to make sure that he keeps them and takes care of them. But he's not ashamed of his faith and he shares it with them. And he will have people come in and teach them the gospel, bring worship bands in. Sometimes he just pays it out of his pocket to do it. A lot of them get saved, a lot of them get saved. And he pays for online training so that they can go to ministry school while in prison. Many of them become pastors that go back to their country of origin and plant churches. And he's the pastor of the pastors. I mean, that's only a God setup, right? What is he doing? He's saying, I'm not just gonna encounter God and keep him for myself. I'm gonna give it away. I want you to stay.